0: So anyway, okay, we are in uh, Luke chapter 15, and today we come to a trilogy of parables, and we're going to cover the entire chapter, 32 verses, so we're going to go through it somewhat quickly, but I believe that's how Jesus uh, presented it. He presented it as three stories uh, without any commentary, but each story uh, drove a point home. Now, these parables have several things in common. Each one of these parables has a main character. Now, remember what the parables are. It's a parable of a lost sheep, a parable of a coin, and a parable of a son. In that way, they're different, but in many ways, they're the same. Each one has a main character, and you'll discover the characters we read. Each one has something lost. There's a sheep that's lost, there's a coin that's lost, there's a son that's lost. Each includes recovery of the lost thing, or restoration, And finally, each one, each parable, concludes with a celebration. All this is very important, very important background that we get this. Uh, I want you also to notice that in each of the parables, the lost thing has a value. In the parable of the sheep, one sheep in a hundred is lost. The parable of the coin—one coin and ten is lost—and the parable of the prodigal son—one son and two is lost. So, in each parable, there's an escalating value for the lost item. I think Jesus <laughs> intends for us to understand this, and each one of these parables teaches the same lesson. It is a lesson that we have <clears throat> been discussing for the past several weeks. That. You do not base who you associate with on their social status, and that God rejoices when one sinner repents. He doesn't look at the person's social status. He doesn't look at their color. He doesn't look whether they're Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians or Constitutional Party or no party at all. He rejoices over anybody who repents. And then you know what he does? He accepts them when they repent. He doesn't care whether they were a drug addict, whether they were homosexuals. He doesn't care anything about whether they were alcoholics. When they repent, he embraces them. Now, when a person repents, their social status doesn't change. If you're black, you're still black. If you're Chinese, you're still Chinese. If you're poor, you're still poor. That doesn't change. But we will see how Jesus says we should react to these people. Okay. So when you when you are these lost things. So when you look at these parables, remember we're dealing with a coin, we're dealing with sheep, we're dealing with a prodigal son. In reality, this is not about coins. It's not about sheep. It's about people who repent and how we respond to them. So make sure you, you keep your focus on these kinds of things, okay? Okay, let's look at verse 1. Then all the tax collectors, everybody goes, Boo. <laughs> All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, that's Jesus, to hear him. Notice how the common people... Hearing gladly, they want to sit at Jesus' feet and listen. Now, these tax collectors, by the way, are toll collectors. They are the people who uh, charge taxes for you to get on a road, just like at the Dallas toll booth, you'd get, have to pay a tax to get on that road. Uh, but, of course, everything moves right into the pot. But in those days, that's not what happened. They would charge you whatever they thought they could charge you. If you look like you had a little bit of extra money, they charge you a little bit extra. And you say, that's not fair. And they say, well, fine, take another road. Well, there wasn't another road. So they were extortioners. Extortioners came to hear Jesus. And sinners. Poverty stricken. Tax collectors had a little bit of money. The sinners, poverty stricken, who never obeyed the law, didn't go to the synagogue, didn't observe the Sabbath. And then verse 2 says, and the Pharisees and the scribes. There's the second group. So we see the, the, what do you want to call this? The sinners, the unacceptable social outcasts. That's one group. And now we see a second group, the self-righteous. The Pharisees, pious people, and the scribes, the interpreters of the law, look what they did. They complained saying, this man receives, he welcomes sinners. Can you imagine such a thing? Doesn't he know where they've been? Doesn't he know what they've done? What kind of diseases they'd have? I remember the first time a guy came to my church, and I may have mentioned this, but it's worth mentioning it again because it's a graphic illustration. It was on a friend day. We had a big day like we had today in church, and I was pastoring. And uh, this individual brought a colleague from work, and it was obvious this person was gay. And he introduced me. And I'm going to preach the gospel that day. I have a special sermon. So he introduces me to the guy before the service, and I shake his hand and say, Welcome, glad you're here. And then I went into the restroom and I washed my hands. Now, this would have been several years ago. This is right when age was coming out, and you didn't know what was going on at that time. So, my friend came up to me after the service. He said, let me ask you a question. He said, after I introduced my friend to you, uh, did you go wash your hands? <laughs> and I said, yes, because I knew you did that. <clears throat> see, I was just like the Pharisees. You see that? They complained. He He welcomes sinners. And he eats with them. Remember we talked about how eating determined your social status. You would never eat with someone below your social status. And so the self-righteous people complain. He eats with sinners. Eating in this book is very important. You're going to see in the next chapter when Jesus talks about there was a rich man. And then there was Lazarus. The rich man feasted greatly, and Lazarus, he would have been glad to have a crumb off of his table. It's always about eating and living. It's who you eat with. That determines your status. But in heaven, guess what? The rich man, he just wished somebody had put a little drop of water on his tongue. But there's old Lazarus. He's in Abraham's bosom, and he's at the Messianic feast, and he's just eating away. It's a reversal. So what we have here is we have two groups of people. We have the unrighteous, the down-and-outers, if you will, and we have the Pharisees. So Jesus, by eating with the down-and-outers and welcoming them, breaks the social norms. That's the way he was. He didn't follow the religious and the political norms of his death.
1: Now, I believe that
0: these are repentant tax collectors and repentant sinners. and I think that you'll see that later on. But just because they've repented, their social status hasn't changed. Now, many people would think here they came, they've came, they've, uh, they repented of their sin, but that doesn't mean you accept them into your church. Yeah, we've got a place for people like you. We have a church. We have a white church over here, and we have a black church over there. And uh, we don't get together, even though we've all repented. That's not how Jesus was. Jesus was just the opposite. He just embraced everybody. Now look at verse 3. Now remember what they said. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Can you imagine that? So he spoke this parable to them. And here's what he said. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one, does not leave the ninety and nine ...in the wilderness, and he goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his friends together and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, this whole passage, verses 3 through 6, form a question form a question. Notice who it's addressed to in verse 3. He spoke this parable to who? Them. You see that? Look at verse 4. What man of you? He's saying, let me put you in a situation. Which one of you, if you lost those sheep, you had a hundred, wouldn't go after sheep? And the answer is, and then after you found it, you'd be really excited and say, hey, come on, let's have a big party. Let's celebrate Who wouldn't do that? And the answer is, we'd all do that. So they would be happy if they found a sheep. And they would rejoice. But how about a sinner who's been found? How about a sinner who's repented? Shouldn't you rejoice even more over that? Shouldn't you have a party over a sinner? Wouldn't you eat with them? Wouldn't you welcome them? I mean, after he found his sheep and this parable man puts it over his shoulder. He cares, man, you don't have to walk home. You're not heavy. Sheep, let me carry you home. And then he calls, he's all excited and he calls his friends he'll have a big party. Wouldn't you do that? And the answer is, what? Yes. But you won't do that if a sinner comes home. See, what Jesus is doing, he's exposing their hypocrisy. That's why religious people always have to be on guard. Because there is a sense in which we fall into the category of hypocrites. Which puts us outside of God's family no matter what we say. These Jews would have said, we have Abraham as our father. Jesus would have said, no, you have the devil as your father. It's not how you label yourself, it's how God labels you. Now we know that in this parable, this individual was pretty wealthy. He had a hundred sheep. The average farmer only had four or five sheep. This was a wealthy person. He lost one. One out of 100, that's a hundred—that's a one percent loss. That's not a big loss. If I have a dollar in my pocket and I lose a penny, nowadays at least people don't even go down and pick up a penny, do they? And we know what Ben Franklin said. What did he say? Can he save? He had better sense than most people today. So this was just a 1% loss. But notice when he finds this 1%, when he regains that 1%, he's going, hallelujah. Got my penny back. Got my 1% back. So excited he has a party. So this is what Jesus is describing. And yet, when a sinner comes home, they're not excited. In fact, I believe, and I'm not, not going to turn you there, but I want you to put in your margin somewhere Ezekiel 34. Because Jesus may be alluding to Ezekiel 34, where God condemns the religious leaders of Israel. Now, these are the religious leaders. God condemns the religious leaders of Israel in Ezekiel 34 for being selfish and only caring about themselves. And as a result, the sheep scatter. And so God says, well, you don't even do anything about it. They scatter. He says, so I will bring them back. I will go and find them. I will search them out. Now he's not talking about sheep, he's talking about people. God searches out the people and he brings them back. And then in verse 7 here we see the results. He says, I say likewise, now watch this, this is the meaning of the whole parable. I say to you that likewise, just as the man and his neighbors rejoice, there will be more joy in heaven. Over one sinner who repents, than over 99 just persons, these are people who are justified in their own eyes, who need no repentance. So that is the first parable, and this is the meaning. Now, guess what Jesus does? When a sinner repents, what does Jesus do? Welcomes him, eats with him, welcomes him, Each with it. That's the same thing that God does. That's the response that God has. Now, who reflects God's will? The Pharisees and the scribes or Jesus, how he treats people who repent? Well, obviously Jesus. Now, look at parable number two. Look at verse eight. And what woman, having ten coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which I lost. Ten pieces loses one a ten percent loss. And man, does this woman hunt for that coin. Now, down in the margin of my Bible, there's a little footnote that says, In the Greek, the coin is called a drachma, a valuable coin often worn in a ten-piece garland, by a married woman. So this may have been some sort of piece of jewelry that she received when she was married and she's lost one of the coins, and this woman sweeps this house until she finds it. Now remember, this is a question as well. Or what woman having ten pieces of What woman, no, what man losing one sheep wouldn't go out and do this? How about a woman? What would she do if she lost something? Would she go out and find it? And then be excited when she found it. You ever lose your ring or your wallet and, or a $20 bill and you found it and you got all excited? And then when I would lose, find my $20 bill or my wallet when I had lost it, my kids would say, Let's go ahead and celebrate, Dad! <laughs> I said, Okay, let's go. And I'd spend whatever I lost. On <laughs> well, that's what we do. That's how we are. We're all humans, you see? Throw a party. Now, look at verse 10. In the bottom line. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, this is not about coins. This is about people. It's not about sheep. It's about people. Now, what do you do when a sinner repents? You should do the same thing that you do when you lose your wallet and you find it. You should say, hey, that's, I'm excited. But oftentimes we're not excited when people repent. Especially if they're not like us. We say, well, that's nice. But I'm not going to have them over to my house for dinner. So now we come to the third parable. And this is called the parable of the prodigal son. Okay? So let's look at verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father... Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now what we have here is we have three characters. We have a father and we have two sons. One who's a younger son and one who is an older son. And what the younger son does is he requests that his father (coughs) divide the inheritance before he dies. Now this would have been unheard of in Bible times. There were times that inheritances were divided prior to a father's death, but the father initiated that. <laughs> now that would make sense. <clears throat> I'm not going to wait till I die. I'm going to give you a little bit now. But for the kid to ask for the, his inheritance was absolutely unheard of, but the father does it. He gives the young kid his. Now the older kid, he doesn't say, okay, now here's the money. He just stays on the farm. <clears throat> and whatever is left when the father dies will naturally become his. So what happens is that The father gives the young son the money. Now, at that point, according to Jewish custom, the young man was dead to the father. I've known some Jewish people who've become Christians, and the father just owns that person and said, you're dead. You're not my son anymore. Now, he may have had two sons, but the next day somebody said, hey, do you have a family Saul? And Saul would say, yes, well, what do you got? One son. Oh, I thought you had two. Now, one son the other's dead well this kid was dead once he broke with the family and took his inheritance he was dead to that family now look at verse 13 and not many days after the young son gathered all together journeyed to a far country very important concept there because that means he went to gentile territory he's not only breaking with his family he's breaking with his religion It means a distant land, beyond the boundaries of Palestine. And he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Wine, women, and whatever else. So So, guess what he does? And later on, his older brother will say, your son spent all of his money on harlots, prostitutes. He lives like a heathen. Not like a respectable Jewish kid. But, verse 14. When he had spent all, and now he's dead broke, there arose a severe famine in the land. And he began to be in want. And then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods. There's the iPods right there. (laughs) With the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Now, had he not wasted his money when a famine hit, he may have been able to ride it through. You know? But he didn't. He'd wasted his money. Didn't save anything. And so now he is starving, and he's forced to become a day laborer. Only job he can find is slopping the pigs, which is not a good job for a Jewish boy. Okay? And he wanted just to eat the food that the pigs ate, but he couldn't do that. He didn't even have a right to do that. It wasn't his property. So that's the situation this young man is in. Verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, which is a graphic statement of a person who's outside of himself, He's lost his mind. He's outside of himself. He's beside himself. And suddenly he comes to his senses. He comes back to himself. He's in his right mind. He wasn't thinking clearly before. Sin always involves not thinking clearly. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I'm perishing with hunger. At least back home, they're not facing a family. So hired hands have plenty of food. But in this country, we're facing a famine. Hired hands don't have any food. He said, I'm perishing with hunger. Verse 18, I will arise and I will go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. He realizes that he shot himself in the foot. He realized that he's no longer able to be looked upon as a son. He'll just be one of his father's servants if the father will even give him that job. So he's going to have to humble himself. I mean, this, he's put his father to shame originally. Now he's going, basically going to have to humble himself. And if the father doesn't do anything, he'll die because he doesn't have any food. Now, notice there are two verbs in 18. First, he says, number one, I will arise. So it wasn't enough for him to come to himself and have this great big plan. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say something. He will confess his sins, and in confessing his sins, he will realize he has a new status. He's no longer part of the family, okay? A new status. No longer a son, just a hired hand. So it says in the middle, verse 20, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be married. For this, my son, was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. Now, notice this. The son realizes he has no status. The father restores him, gives him a new status. That of a son puts the ring on his hand, and the father throws a big party, and it's He doesn't spare, you know, any expense. Now, this story is not about a kid asking for his inheritance. I mean, that's the parable, but it's not what it's about. Just as the other parables are not about sheep and coins. They're about people who repent. And how you respond to people who repent. People who have shamed you. people who have robbed you, taken every cent that you have that you worked for your entire life, and threw it away on booze and prostitutes. Now, I know how I would have responded. Well, I'll try you for a week. (laughs) Take care of the sheep, take care of, well, the cows, you know, Cows aren't clean. Let's go clean up all that mess. I would get a little bit of revenge, a little pound of of flesh. I mean, that's my nature. But notice that this father doesn't do this. And this isn't about a father receiving back his prodigal son, although some of us have had prodigal sons. This is about a sinner who repents and how we are to receive sinners, regardless of how low they have absolutely fallen. Imagine this kid now. He probably hasn't eaten for a long while. He couldn't even eat the the pods that the pigs ate. And it was on a far journey. And so he was starving while he was in the pig pen, and he finally makes it home. And I don't think he's in real good shape physically. He probably doesn't even look like the same person. There's probably no resemblance to the father. At this point, you wouldn't even know that's the father's son. He looks like he's been in a concentration camp. You see his ribs. And here he is coming home. He has his whole thing planned. Just take me back as a hired hand. I need to eat or I'll die. I'll perish. But the father said to the servants, We're having a feast. My son back home. He's no longer dead. He's alive. He's no longer lost. He's found. Let's have this tremendous part. Yeah. Now, by the way, in verse 24, you see the word lost. That's used seven times in these parables. And the word sinner, by the way, is used six times. It's found in all the parables. Now, what's important about this, however, is how the chapter opens. Back in verse 2. Notice what it says. The Pharisees and the scribes complained. First of all, it says tax collectors and sinners. Verse 1. The Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man, meaning Jesus, receives sinners and he eats with them. That's the point of the story. Jesus was willing to welcome them and eat with them, and the Pharisees and the scribes weren't. This is the whole point of the parable. How do you respond to repentant sinners who end up who were lost and come back how would you respond if you lost a sheep and you found it how would you respond if you lost a coin and you found it how would you respond if you had a prodigal and they came home Well, you'd be so excited you'd throw a party and you won't do that for a sinner you won't treat the sinner the same way. You won't rejoice and bring in your friends. This father does what's right. He brings in the friends. Now look what it says in verse 24. Look what it says. This is my son who is dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. And they began to make merry. Now, his older son was out in the field. And as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He said, what's going on here? Right. Eyes lit up. Well, hey, what's going on? Have the party going on? And so he called one of the servants, verse 26. Hey, what's going on? And he asked about, what do these things mean? And the servant said, your brother's come. And because he has received him, Safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry. And would not go in. Therefore his father came out and (coughs) pleaded with him. Come on in, son. Your brother has come home. Now, if you look at the difference between the father and the older brother, look how the father responded in verse 20. The father saw him in the middle of verse 20 and had compassion. Do you see that? That's the right response. Look how the older brother responded in verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. He wouldn't go in and eat with him. He wouldn't go in and welcome him home. Now there's rejoicing in the house over a sinner who comes home. And there's a rejoicing in heaven over the sinner who comes home. But there is anger and frustration in this older brother's heart. And he refuses to go in. And he's as mad as a hornet. Now look what it says at the end of verse 28. This is very important. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and he said to his father, Look, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came home. Doesn't even say his, his brother. Not my brother. Not when my brother came home. Uh, this son of yours. Notice how he now is separating from the father. He's breaking a family relationship. Soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf. For him. Now who's now who is dishonoring the father? And this father pleads with him to come in. He says, Shut up, old man. You're, <laughs> you're stupid. This guy's taking advantage of you and you're you're a sap and you're letting him back. I'm not coming. Now who's outside the house? <laughs> now who's outside the family? Now, remember what this is all about. It's all about verse 2. Right? Uh, You see, the older son is the Pharisee. The older son is the scribe, in a sense. The, The older son represents the scribe and represents the Pharisee. Now, look at verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. Now, this is an important statement. It is right. You hear that? It is right. It's the right thing that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and he was lost and he is found. Now, these are parables. The real... Story is how are we to receive sinners? Guess what? We are to welcome them and we're to eat with them. Look, this is right. That's the right thing to do. Now let me ask you this: who's doing the right thing in verses 1 and 2? Jesus or the Pharisees? It's Jesus. Jesus is reflecting the will of God. When a sinner comes home, there's great joy in heaven, they have a feast. Jesus is reflecting the will of God. He reflects God's joy. And that's how we're to respond when people come to Christ as well. We have an obligation, a right, an obligation to receive repentant sinners. Now let me give you a couple statements here as I close. Number one, just like the father in verse 28, the end of 28, pleads with the older son to receive the... Younger son, Jesus, in essence, by giving the parables, is pleading or inviting the Pharisees and the scribes to receive sinners as well. That's the whole purpose of these. Okay? Now remember, Luke's doing the same thing. This is the story of what Jesus did. When did Luke write this? 35 years later. Luke tells this story to his congregation 35 years later. Why do you think Luke chooses to put this story... In his gospel, that's going to be read to his, the Christians in his neighborhood. Why do you think he would do that? You know, this story's not in Matthew, Mark, or John. Why do you think Luke would include this story for his congregation? Do you think they need it? And now we're reading it. It's been, this scripture has. Exists now and today we're reading it. Do you think we need it? <coughs> is it a lesson for us? See? The question is, will we join the angels in heaven when a person repents? That's the question for us. Will, will we put aside our concerns, what kind of people they are or were? Yeah, they may have done some rotten things. Well, this guy who really did some rotten things. But guess what? Accept them. They may be as low down and as dirty and as smelly and as so outside of your class. Guess what? Don't just say praise the Lord. They walk forward. Take them out to lunch. Ah. Who are you going to go out to lunch with today? That's what it says. See, this is the kingdom ethic. Jesus is showing us the difference. He's making a distinction Between the way the world operates and religious people operate usually according to the world, unfortunately. And the way, the ethic and the way of the kingdom. This is how the kingdom operates. It gives us an alternative way to live. Those of us who are in the kingdom, we reflect what's being done in heaven. Thy will be done on earth, what? What are they doing in heaven when somebody repents? And guess what they're going to do? They're going to bring them all into the great messianic banquet. And guess what we do? We do the same thing. That's a foretaste. See, we can show these people a foretaste of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Well, we accept people whom God accepts. Does God accept these tax collectors and sinners? Then what should we do? Even though they're not like you? Well, they're closer to what you're like than you are to what God's like. And God accepted you. And he invites you to his table, called the Lord's Table. Jesus invited people to the Last Supper, knowing that one of them was going to betray him, was going to cause His very death, but he ate with him. It's an amazing thing. This is the kingdom effort. We have to decide whether we will accept the people that God accepts or we, whether we will reject people that God accepts. If we refuse to do what Jesus does, which is welcome and eat with the sinners, then we, like the older son, are not part of the family. No matter what our testimony is, no matter what we label ourselves, we're not part of God's family. And so that's basically the message. God's standard is different than the world's standard and we have to decide which standard we'll live by. Next week we pick up with the parable of the unjust steward. So we'll Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another passage that uh, we've read over a thousand times and we've usually get the wrong meaning. Because we don't understand the context. We haven't read through the Gospel of Luke. We don't see where it fits in. But once we see that, it all makes so, so much sense. It's all consistent. And it's also con- so convicting. Oh, Lord, help us to examine our lives. And help us not only to examine our lives and say, are we doing this? But that's really not the important thing. The important thing is from now on, Lord, help us to exhibit the gracious, loving, compassion, and joy of Jesus Christ. We can make a difference in people's lives. We can embrace them, wrap our arms around them, give them a new suit to put on their back and a ring on their finger and take them to dinner, and we can make a difference in some person's life who would never experience your love if it weren't for us. Oh, Lord, help us to be those kinds of people in Jesus' name.